The Bulls have three seconds to try a shot and try to win the game. This is the Notebook Wagering Podcast. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Coming to you from the betting deck. Don't believe what I just saw. Here are your hosts. Jenks! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Smitty and Q. Hey, good evening, everybody from Notebook Wagering, live from the East Coast. And we have someone from the West Coast, special guest tonight. We have Greg Hoops Peterson joining us. He's at Twitter, GUnit underscore 81. He's joining myself. If you follow Matt, JCAM34 and Smitty Bucks, we're going to uh, pick his brain tonight. We're going to go over a little Final Four action. See if he has any hot takes from what just went down in the Elite Eight. And we're going to get him to tell us all about his MLB podcast coming up. How's it going, Greg? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, guys. No, thanks for being here again. Great to have you back on, Greg. Always good to be here. So, Greg, um, let's start with uh, the Final Four. And I don't know how to say it. I was a little highly disappointed in the games last night after all that buildup, especially the big Michigan game and UCLA. So we'll, we'll parlay that over to the final four. Let's go with uh, a, a Zags versus UCLA matchup to start. Uh, we have a spread of minus 14 over under 145 and a half. In my opinion, this to me is going to break down to the 1985 Georgetown Villanova game. I, I personally cannot see how UCLA can stop this steamrolling machine, even though at the same time, I might say what UCLA has done in this tournament is more impressive than what the Zags have done. Give us a little bit of uh, feedback on your thoughts here. This is one in which I'm going to be taking a look at Gonzaga up to 16. They have are a steamroller. They have shown it all throughout, and Drew Timmy has been able to do an absolutely awesome job down low. I mean, he was solid at the beginning of the year, but it seems like he's just getting better and better. The way that he handled the Mobley brothers was terrific. And then you take a look at this UCLA team, Johnny Chizang, and he had 28 of the team's 51 points in that Elite Eight victory. He has been tremendous. What are you going to be able to get out of everyone else? I mean, they don't necessarily do the world's greatest job down low. Jaime Jaquez is a versatile player, and Jules Bernard was able to give the team eight rebounds against Michigan, so I do like what he's able to bring to the table, but I take a look at this one. I think that Gonzaga is going to be able to put up 80-plus, so I'm taking a look at this total over. I set it at 148 myself, but I mean, when you've got guys like Joel Ayayi doing all that he's doing, Corey Kispert, guy that's six foot seven, shoots nearly 44% from three-point range, just everything that Gonzaga brings to the table, it's not going to be UCLA that takes it down, that's for sure. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, uh, Kispert's the best three-pointer shooter left. Timmy's the best big man left. And they might have the best overall player left in Suggs. And you you summed it up perfectly. Other than Johnny Juzang, and I believe they had two other guys only score the first half against Michigan, and they still came out with a lead. I, I can't see how they get over the hump against this uh, loaded Zags team. No. Nope. Smitty Kaminsky, you got anything on this? Oh, I just – I said to Matt last night, you know – I thought USC was trying to go way too fast in that game and their guards 
they just turned the ball over way too much in that game last night. And I wanted them to kind of slow it down a little bit. I, I think that's the only way you can compete. I think UCLA is going to have to make this about as ugly as it can be and really slow the pace down. And, and But like, you know, every Greg just said, and Matt, you said last night, I mean, can anybody really stop Gonzaga from scoring? I mean, you better score a, you better, you better score a lot of points. I mean, and the, you know, you got to get a lot more from the team, but I think UCLA is going to have to make this a really, ugly game uh you know Campbell can handle the ball really well but it has to be a very slow paced game if it's yeah. close and with Gonzaga I don't think that they played a game under 67 possessions all year long that was St. Mary's that was able to do it and unfortunately for St. Mary's their offense was terrible so they still want to losing by double digits <laughs> yeah um it, this has to be I think we did a little bit of research today. This, I believe, is the biggest spread ever in the Final Four. Is that right, Jason? Did you look that up? Yeah, I forget what we went back to. But, yeah, it's uh, by about two or three points, I think. For Final Four, yes. I know that the national title game between Syracuse and Kentucky, I also believe, was 14. So, in this round, yes, unless we really want to go back to the 1970s, back when Jimmy Vaccaro was, like, at the Stardust. <laughs> I can't wait. You just hit touched on a name that I'm going to ask you about later in the show before we get you to leave. All right. All right. Let's jump over to the second game, which is actually the first game. And we have the Baylor Bears versus the Houston Cougars. We have a line of minus five right now over under 134. This is basically pitting the best backcourt left in the final four in the Baylor Bears, where Butler, Teague, and Mitchell are averaging 46.4 points a game, going up against probably the best remaining defensive team in the Houston Cougars, who are only giving up 55.7. Looking ahead, I actually think this could be a sneaky underplay, but the Baylor Bears backcourt scares me, and I believe they're averaging 80 points in the tournament. So the best matchup for me here is Dejan Giroux. Can he slow down Davion Mitchell? Because out of those three, Mitchell seems like the one to make the engine go for Baylor. And I know the Cougars crash the boards the best, and Baylor's not the best offense or the defensive rebounding team. So I think that gives Houston a slight hope in this one. What do you say about this? With Houston, I feel like they've just been on a really, really lucky run right now because they played all double-digit seeds. And when you take a look at this offense, I where is the scoring going to come from is my question. They're an average three-point shooting team, a little bit above average, but you can tell that with Jarreau, he is dealing with injuries. He's not necessarily himself on the offensive end. Still providing everything that he can on defense, but here's my fear with Houston. Baylor's going to allow their defense to become offense. Baylor's able to give you nine steals per game, and we've seen in this tournament, Houston has not done a good job of being able to take care of the ball. You do have Quentin Grimes and Longjaro who are out there in the backcourt. They're solid, but Marcus Sasser is a guy that really can't find his own shot. He needs others to create for him. With Baylor, their wings are just so long, and while Baylor has not necessarily been the best rebounding team all year long, I feel like Jonathan Chamachachua, along with Mark Vital, have improved as the season goes along. With Baylor, Adam Flagler has done a good job of being able to become the sharpshooter for this team as well. Justin Gorham able to give you a couple of rebounds for Houston. And you know that they're going to do everything that they can to be able to slow down Baylor. But I am with the Bears. They just haven't necessarily been slowed down. And even when they have against the likes of Villa and Alvin Company, they've still found a way. I just don't think that Houston has a firepower in offense. I'm laying the points here with Baylor. I want to say this a little more around 138 and a half myself. So I'm going to be taking it over. Ooh, I like it. 
Yeah, I just don't think they they have enough scoring. I mean, they shot 29% after the first half. I mean, really try to give the game away. How like you know, Matt, we brought it up many times on the show. These teams they, they get a they get a lead, a big lead, and then it's like they go and stall and try to run the clock and it about backfired a lot the other day. I just don't think there's enough firepower for them. I just can't see. I mean, they can hit the glass really hard, but they're just not the greatest shooting team where I think Baylor, again, like Greg said, they'll they'll create some steals. They'll put some points on the board, I think. I think Baylor cruises in this game. So we know you hate looking ahead, though, Greg. But if uh, we go on these numbers alone and your premonitions here, so it would lead us to believe that it's going to be the Zags versus Baylor in the national championship game. I'd be surprised if, this, if it's anything else. I I would agree, but we won't jump. UCLA has proved us wrong now quite a many times. Yeah. So if you get to that final game, how does Baylor, even though they have the three guard set, do they have enough to overcome basically the NBA D League team that the Zags are running out there? They've got to be hitting threes. That's a big thing because with Baylor, they've been a little bit all over the map with that. They looked very solid against Arkansas being able to shoot from the outside. Villanova, meanwhile, they were able to shut them down. With Baylor in their last game of the regular season against Texas Tech, they were lights out. If they shoot that way, they've got a chance against Gonzaga. Now with Gonzaga, they do a solid job of being able to guard the arc as well. We all talk about the Gonzaga offense, but when it comes to points given up on a per-possession basis, this is a Gonzaga team that they ranked 10th in all of college basketball. We saw what they were able to do to USC, just turning them over left and right, even though USC was able to get into the mid-60s. I mean, it didn't feel like USC was doing very much on offense, to say the least. And when you take a look at Baylor, what I think is going to be so important for them is how they'd be able to match up against Drew Timmy as well. Is Jonathan Chama, Joshua, and Mark Vidal able to hold up at the point of attack? Because I really feel like he's become the X factor for a Gonzaga team that as a whole shooting nearly 64% from inside the three-point arc, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Completely agree. I I actually think it would turn into a very, very thrilling game though because i think i think the baylor bears have proved all year that they are the second best team and but i don't know if they are quite to the level that the zags are so if we get this dream matchup that we should have had uh what would you set the line at per chance if if you had to take a shot in the dark on that right now i think bookmakers would make it between three and three and a half and it would immediately be back to four that would be personally what i would think and I'd lay with the Zags in this spot. I'd be willing to lay probably up to five, maybe even five and a half in this spot, depending on how Baylor would look in the final four against Houston. So on a fun note, Smitty and I have a side bet. I'm laying 19. How's that sound against for the Zags versus uh, UCLA? 19 is not a bad number. I personally want up setting mine at 16, but I mean, you know what? I mean, what do you think is more likely? UCLA keeps us within single digits or Gonzaga wins this game by 20 plus? I would go with the latter. And would you believe he tried to get even get, try to get me up to 20? Oh, I can believe it. I mean, hey, he Greg, I, every I, single I, point I was he was <laughs> I was I was working today. I was trying to get the best number I possibly could from him. <laughs> Can't blame you. You've got to get every <laughs> Absolutely. It's bragging rights. A couple little, five little dollars, uh, you know, what fun you money and a little bet so we can uh, text back it and is forth throughout the game. So, it, yeah, it should be fun. 
So, Greg, sorry we couldn't meet up in Vegas. I know you were extremely busy. I was going to buy oh, you a Jimmy beer if Vicaro. we got a free I mean, he's just been around circa. for so long. So I just want to hit on a, a, a – I'm going to ask a completely off-the-wall question since you, deal with v, since you deal with Visa. There you go. Out of these two, out of Paulie Howard and Jimmy Vaccaro. He's still coming up with stories today, and the man is in his 70s. And keep in mind, his brother is Sonny Vaccaro, so you've also got that aspect of it as well now. Paulie Howard's epic jackpot story. That is that is one for the ages right there where he was dating the female who wound up winning millions and billions of dollars. That is absolutely insane. But, I mean, to go against Jimmy Vaccaro in this one would be like picking against the Gonzaga Bulldogs if they were p- playing against Pacific. So the reason I ask that is because I actually live in the town that Jimmy Vaccaro grew up in. So, Oh, nice. Uh, so... Granton, Pennsylvania, or uh, Trafford, Trafford, Trafford yeah, a yeah. uh, little little suburb of Pittsburgh. So, and I actually met him when he came to the Rivers Casino to open up the sports book. So it was oh, it was awesome. good to actually meet him in person. Yeah. So after that breakdown, how about uh, we'll give you another shout out here, Twitter. Follow Greg Hoops Peterson at gunit underscore eighty one. Greg, why don't you give us a little bit about your upcoming baseball podcast you're going to do? It's very similar to Hooping with Hoops. In the first segment, I'm going to be recapping all the action that we wound up seeing from the night before. Obviously, not going to be doing that with the opening day games because, well, if I would be recapping spring training, that would be really, really bad because spring training, it just does not apply to the regular season. So instead, I'll be just talking about my style, how I go about baseball betting, just answering the normal Q&A that I get on Twitter whenever I start up a new season, whether it be college basketball or baseball. So we give the elevator pitch there. Always try to have on a guest every single day to break down a couple games, have some fun with that, and then give out my side total analysis on every single game, whether I like money line, run line, overs and unders, everything. I've got you all covered. Take a look at the bullpens. Take a look at the starting lineups. Some of the interesting splits and the nuggets that I find with my research that leads me to playing all these games and always try to have some fun along the way with it as well. Because with baseball, you get some very fascinating names. So I get to bust out the Spanish accent, which will be fun. (laughs) So who's your, who's your squad that we, we need to pay attention to for MLB this year. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what we wind up getting out of the Kansas City Royals. I mean, Whit Merrifield is a guy that I think is going to be able to make a little bit of an impact. The Indians are a little bit depleted from the AL Central. The Minnesota Twins have taken a bit of a setback. They wound up losing a couple pieces in the offseason. And I do think that the White Sox still going to be a force. But without Eloy Jimenez, I do think that the Royals are going to be competitive. Mike Matheny, I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap as a coach. They've got Brad Keller going to the mound opening day. I like the way that he's able to perform. I think that they're a team that, with their win total in the mid-70s, that's actually a good play on the over. I'll throw a quick uh, tidbit out there. Do they bring up Bobby Witt Jr. come May? I I would hope so, because I know that there's so much when it comes to like service time and everything like that. But, I mean, if they really want to win right now, I think that that would be the best way to go about it. Awesome. Well, Smitty, sorry, I, I didn't mean to jump ahead. I know you wanted to ask Greg about the uh, transfer portal real quick. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, Greg, I just wanted, I mean, it's over like, a th- it's like a thousand people now. I mean, it's crazy with these guys. Tra- I mean, every day you wake up and it's like this team, 
you know, lost. Like, I mean, Jason's a big Penn State fan. With the new coach coming in, they lost a lot of their starters. They're transferring. My Georgetown Hoyas, Wahab leaving was a shocker when I read that. I mean, what's your thoughts on these players transferring as much as they are? I think a lot of it is a product as well of being able to get that extra year that was awarded as well. We saw it so much with the spring sports, but basketball had not followed suit until now. So that is going to add to the transfer portal. But what I think is just so interesting about all this is that it just feels like it's free agency now. Certainly players should be allowed to have more freedom to transfer than they've had in the past. Having to set out a full year, that's a little bit tough. But at the same time, it almost feels like these guys are just leaving at the face of any form of adversity whatsoever. So I'm a little bit torn on it because you do want the players to have more freedom. I do feel like because they're not paid, at least we don't think that they're paid. We at least hope not. It's one of these things in which they deserve a little bit more freedom. But at the same time, when you're just like jumping school to school to school, you're seeing these guys that are on like their third school in three years. That's when it's like, okay, this seems to have gotten a little bit ridiculous because they are supposed to be student athletes. And what that means is that they shouldn't probably be burdened as much as they are by coaches and everything like that. But at the same time, they should be at the school for the education too. So I feel like that's one of those things where it works both ways. Yeah, I just saw just uh, before he came on the one kid out of Colorado, Horn. He he was at Tulsa. He left Tulsa, went to Colorado, and he just went back to Tulsa. We've seen that a couple times. I know that Zane Martin wound up going from Towson to New Mexico, and then this year he was back at Towson, and it's like, well, I don't think that he wound up leaving the school and then coming back for necessarily the academics. That's <laughs> one of those things because once again, student athlete. Awesome. Let's shift back real quick to baseball again. Uh, So these two joining me tonight, uh, I'm not going to say shamelessly, but maybe misguided. They are both Pittsburgh Pirates fans. Are they going going to be the worst team in baseball this year? Right now, according to the odds makers, they have the lowest win total, but I think their saving grace might be the division because let's face it, who's going to run away and hide with it? The Chicago Cubs are a little bit down. The Milwaukee Brewers, they've got a win total right around 83-84. I'm not necessarily too bullish on them. With the Pittsburgh Pirates, it's a little bit brutal. I mean, Jamison Tyon could not stay healthy. Joe Musgrove no longer with the sat. You could tell that they're clearly in rebuilding mode, but I mean, I take a look at some of the teams that are out there, and it's really a horse of peace situation. I would go with the Texas Rangers being the worst team in the league. I think the Pirates are in the bottom three. I think that they can avoid this, though, because I think the Rangers are that truly terrible. Hey, see that, boys? You got a little bit of hope. Hey, future, future. I took over 59 wins for the Pirates. Over 59. It's crazy that 59 and a half has no juice right now either. I mean, that's just – for total to be out low and people to actually going under it is insane to me. But I mean, especially when you look at the division, like you mentioned, I mean, Baltimore still has to dig out from the East, which is incredibly hard. Uh, and the Rockies are basically imploding every single day. And we might, they not even may not even be done yet with what's going to go on there. Uh, now, you know, from a fantasy saving, concern. I will say with the Rockies, they're saving grace is the fact that the Arizona Diamondbacks are also completely terrible. So they should just split by default. Exactly. Well, and here's the thing with Baltimore. When you have Matt Harvey as your number two, mm, I think it's all right. 
I think we're going to be all right. We're not going to be the last team. I think Baltimore, and I think Greg said, I think Texas is not, not going to be a very good team So in Colorado. So over 59, the boys will compete. And when you're a true fan, <laughs> yeah. hey, when you're a true fan, you got to watch. There's there's only been a couple years that it was good. It's been a lot of bad, but I'm going to sit and enjoy it over the summer. So hey, you don't have that movie. You do know their opening day starter is Chad Cool. Hey, not a bad, not a bad. good arm. Can make about three, four good innings. It's better Greg, than that your, army. Who, uh, Greg, who's your your who's your squad? My squad is the Milwaukee Brewers. They are the oh. team that I grew up with. So I I always have to stay faithful to them. No more Ryan Braun, which means that, well, the let's call it not necessarily good. That wound up happening with him a couple years ago. That is no more. And Christian Yelich, not going to hit 205 again. I will step out on a limb and I will say that. Perfect segue <laughs> because I threw a little bit of fun money on Christian Yelich to win the NL MVP. Very nice. I like it. Yeah. Worth yeah. a flyer. You have to give credit to the Brewers, too, of how they've managed like the payroll and free agency. They've probably played it about as well as anybody of any market their size the last three or four years. I mean, they've always got new names coming in somehow. And they've kind of shuffled out names like Ryan Braun whenever it just doesn't work anymore. No, it certainly does not. It's been a little bit difficult for the Milwaukee Brewers. And just more importantly than that, they need to find starting pitching. If they're able to do that, they would be very solid because they can always find a bullpen. They're able to find some solid bats, but they just need that top end starting pitching, which has just deprived them so much. They might have the best one-two punch in the bullpen this year. Yes, Devin Williams along Josh Hader. That is a lethal duo. Though I will say, Hader, he didn't give up many hits last season, but he was walking a bunch of guys as well. That was not necessarily the world's greatest situation. I think we can throw out last year, though, as an anomaly. And I think we're going to see, like exactly like you said, Kristen Yelich is not going to hit 205 this year. I agree. And last season in general, it's hard to stick as much sock into it because it was only 60 games. It was a very obscure and strange year. Like, do we really think that the Miami Marlins are going to be going back to the postseason? <laughs> I don't. No. Well, Greg, we'll probably let you skip out, man. So Matt, what about your Phillies here? Oh, don't don't bring it up. They're another team. They're they go by Greg's mode for the Brewers. They need pitching, pitching, and more pitching. If they period. have any sort of a bullpen, because actually the starting pitching is not bad. The bullpen. Oh. Yep. Bad. It's bad. So I'm not going to get too excited. Their offense is going to be just fine. Uh, yeah. Just fine. But they, they need arms. Arms and arms and more arms. And their farm system does not have the arms either. Hey, Greg, I, want, I wanted to say, though, it's I think it's awesome that you're getting a lot more time on Vizen. And I've been watching you uh, usually Saturday nights. And I think you're doing a wonderful job. I think you, I'm glad you're on there a lot more now. And um, keep it up, buddy. You're doing great stuff. I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. Greg, you want to give a plug or anything before we let you dip? Yep. For the baseball podcast I'm doing, every episode is going to be called The Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. I know we have a lot of creativity there. If you see a feed that says Baseball Betting Show with those titles, you have found it. So we try to make it nice, easy, and clean there. So just search Baseball betting show, baseball betting podcast, and my name, and it should pop up. And then, obviously, my college basketball podcast is called Hooping with Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson. Awesome, man. We appreciate the time. We appreciate the effort. You are truly a -a one-of-a-kind guru out there, man. Keep up the great work. 
I appreciate you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good hey, night, thanks, Greg. Greg. You too. Thank you. All right, boys. Well, do you guys want to dig into any more of the uh, Final Four, or we want to jump into some baseball? No, I mean, I, I think the final – I mean, I think we he said it well. You know, Matt, I think you said something at the very beginning of that when you said it's like the Villanova-Georgetown – that's that's what UCLA is going to have to do. It's going to have to be ugly, ugly. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have to basically run four corners, stretch out the shot clock to thirty seconds, and then try to get Juzang coming off sort of a pick and roll or even an ISO. I, I don't know how they slow it down, and it was crazy. Right before we jumped on, I was just doing digging around a little stuff. Somebody had a prediction on the game that. UCLA is going to slow this down so much. They don't expect the Zags to score more than 69. I, I, I can't see that. I, I don't know how that would happen in any world right now. now. Now, one thing I did look at, so UCLA's lost one game by 15 points this year to San Diego State and one game by 18 points to USC. Other than that, they've been they've had it lower, so that's a good thing. But I did look up the Zags. Zags had about nine wins by 20 two by 30 plus and two by 40. Now the forties were against Pacific or no, excuse me, three Dixie state Pacific and then Norfolk uh, state in the, in the tournament. And again, this is UCLA is not Dixie state. They are not. I'm waiting for Kaminsky to give us some crazy stats here. So I was trying to think when we were talking to hoops, like how can UCLA win this game? How can Houston win these games? Right. I mean, it's, it's too easy just to say they're going to roll through them because one of these games is probably going to be close. It doesn't have to be that way, but it usually how it works out. Somebody doesn't shoot well. Somebody just doesn't show up. You know, it's a big stage. It is interesting that they played in the dome uh, in the earlier rounds. So that's usually an effect in the final four you see, especially in semifinal games where they're not used to playing in the big arenas with, that have wind that are usually, you know, bad shooting backgrounds. And, you know, if you've played basketball at all, you know how much of a difference that actually makes. It's probably something that the normal fan doesn't really pick up is if you, you know, if you're shooting into a, an abyss, it's really hard to adjust at first. But uh, Gonzaga, when they haven't been real efficient on offense, it's just, it's kind of funny. You have to like gauge it, right? Because they've never had one game this season where they average less than one point per possession, which is insane. Like there was not one night where they didn't, you know, show up. Um, the teams that had success, West Virginia, St. Mary's, basically what they did was they denied three-point attempts. And uh, I, I don't know why that worked so well because Gonzaga obviously goes inside a lot on offense, but it, it seemed at least it kept them in check. And maybe it slowed them down a little. Um, the pace of those games, especially St. Mary's, but St. Mary's slows everybody down. They're kind of like West Coast Virginia. Um, that That's really – UCLA can do that. And they've actually defended the three pretty well in the tournament. And, you know, so that's basically their best is that they play slow, they're comfortable playing slow, and they defend the arc fairly well. So that's that's their path to cover. I don't know if it's a path to victory, but at least make it close. I'm going to do a little rebuff on that, though. So um, I believe I heard last night while I was – I think I was driving, actually. I didn't even get to see most of the Zags game. And through the first eight minutes, I believe the Zags only had one three-point attempt, and it still didn't actually slow them down. Well, they came out and uh, ambushed USC with the press, and that kind of just got everything kind of out of whack. And it was a really great play by Few because, you know, that's the kind of team where you don't think you're going to come out and make a strategy change, right? You can just roll the balls out and you're going to win. Kind of sneak up on USC that way. Obviously, they sent something with the point guard 
not going to be able to handle it. Or maybe they saw a game earlier in the year where USC clearly wasn't prepared for the press, but uh, it was an excellent game plan because it, it got the lead. And then, you know, once USC was playing from behind, they really didn't have a chance in that game. You know, they were, that was a game they were going to have to play from ahead. And, and that's why I said, you know, what I thought of that was they were just trying to run with them. And I just don't, you can't do that. And I get that USC can run a little bit, but you're you're going right into what Gonzaga wants, and then they were trying to play man to man, and Suggs. I mean, it was it was a layup drill. I mean, they just got to the they got to the rim consistently, and you know Gonzaga did not shoot the ball from three very well. You know, Kispert was six of nineteen from the floor. He he. I mean, he didn't shoot well at all. I mean, that's a scary thing too. And you think about it because you're thinking, well, he still finished with eighteen but he was six of 19 from the floor, but that's scary because if he has a really good night and then you have Suggs and Timmy that if they play well, I mean, that's just how dangerous the Zags can be. I I heard an amazing stat. So out of all the big time players that the Zags have had recently, and I don't know, let's just say the past 20 years, um, only one player on their entire rosters through the years has had a triple double now Suggs almost did it last night do you guys know the answer to who it was oh uh, yeah yeah. Austin Day incorrect he's actually on the team this year it's oh Joe Joel Ayayi did it this year only the only guy ever I was like wow that shows you how deep this team is that if they if him and Nemhard are basically their fourth fifth sixth type options yeah it's crazy what they can run out at you and you know in a way i i hope it is baylor because we did get robbed of that game earlier in the season yeah and it got canceled and and matt you said it i think it's the best two teams that you know we've talked about it a lot on this show that it's you know i think we said you we're gonna lose that bet maybe though because we said um you know some were saying gonzaga Baylor or the field and you know we said oh you take the field and yeah yeah now it might not yeah. be looking that good <laughs> it might not. I think my most intriguing matchup though of the night is going to be who does actually Johnny Juzang cover because if he goes into foul trouble that team is going to get absolutely buried they, they might end up losing by 30 if he gets into foul trouble and has to sit for a five six minute stretch well, you saw they, they that last night when he hit that ankle injury. And, you know, the guys already had ankle injuries, and it seemed like yeah. he sprained an ankle earlier in the tournament. Now, again, when he went out last night, that's when Michigan made that little bit of push because they got down by nine points, and I think they got it really close. But, you know, Riley has to stay out of foul trouble too. Got in foul trouble a lot last night. It, it just I, – I think – I really like the coach. I think he'll have a game plan. I mean, you know, sneaky bet might be the first half UCLA in this. I mean, could Gonzaga just wear them down and put on a late run and blow this out and cover? Could. Could you look? I did that a couple times. One game was, um, I think, in their their West Coast uh, tournament when they played BYU. I looked at BYU in the first half. BYU came out and jumped on them. I'm not saying UCLA is going to jump on them, but it's going to be a big line. Could could Cronin have a great game plan? Could they slow it down? Like you said, Jason, you know, said, could they defend the three point shot really well? And could they get a lead or just keep it somewhat close? I think Gonzaga will wear them down as the game goes on. 
I think Kaminsky hit it right on the money, though. He said one of these two games is going to be close. And, and I mean, it, when I first looked at it, to me, it, it jumps off the page. I think Houston can muck it up, dirty it up enough, play good enough defense to actually keep that one tight. But I can't see them slowing down that that backcourt of Baylor for the entire game, especially. I, but Greg nailed it though too. If Baylor is struggling to miss the three, I think that's the potential upset is Houston in, in a dirty, dirty type 59-58 type game. You know, the thing that's tough, and and I don't know if Jason has this or has looked at this, but who have the Cougars played? Like they haven't, I mean, they just haven't played anybody that's come that's completely like anywhere near Baylor. Again. Their defense is unbelievable. Their offensive rebounding is unbelievable. But you look at like matchups throughout the year, like who have they played? The 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 best win they have is over Texas Tech uh, in December. So I mean, Texas Tech is a peer of Baylor. They played Baylor a couple times this year, right? So you can compare those two. And then uh, Memphis, two times they played them. Memphis is a thirty-one in Ken Palm, and it wasn't the same level of Memphis team we saw last year, but. That's really it. Yeah, I mean, you're on the. You make a great point because, and I think that's why I didn't pick them that far in the bracket because, you know, every team they were playing was just as good as the American was this year. Um, you know, it just wasn't. You know, without Connecticut in there, uh, it just wasn't quite the same. Um, but it, when you talk about the kind of game that Houston's going to need, they they relish that opportunity. They have no problem playing that ugly, ugly basketball, and uh, I think it's going to benefit them here. Um, it's more of just taking a look at Baylor. Like, you know, when they kind of win that funk after they took the COVID break, it's like what really happened to them that kind of even stymied them a little bit. And, you know, it's just, you know, you look at it, when you watch them play, you see the guard play, it kind of just seems like they just kind of like took their foot off the gas pedal. It doesn't seem like there was a flaw that came up. It just kind of seems like it took them a couple of games to get back on their stride again. And then, you know, the Big 12 is a tough, tough league. So everyone's kind of playing every week is going to be way ahead of a team that has to literally not touch a basketball for a week. Uh, but that's really what it looks like at this point because they're rolling pretty well. They've got length and size, you know, the three good guards, and maybe not NBA quality, but definitely G League quality. So, I mean, it's a tough task for Houston. They're going to have to shoot as well as they did in the first half against Oregon State to, to stay in it, and hopefully they can get a close game and just grind it uh, to the end. I'm going to bring up two games. So – in my opinion, they should have lost to Rutgers in the second round. Uh, they eked that out. And then if you – I can't believe you missed this, Kaminsky. Back on February 6th, they played Lady of the Lakes and only won by 60, 66. Oh. <laughs> well, Lady of the Lakes, we've talked about them on the show. Come on. They, they get out there and they play great <laughs> zone defense. and. No. <laughs> Ah, Lady of the Lakes. I'm still waiting for my T-shirt. I know. Well, it hasn't been on our uh, site yet, Matt. I know. It is interesting, though, because that could have been Gonzaga. And they chose not to go that route. They they passed on the opportunity to go after the big boy, which is kind of weird because Houston was probably a team that needed that game more than Gonzaga did at that point because Houston, like we just talked about their schedule, it was terrible. And they weren't getting any notice, even though they were moving all the up all the metrics. Nobody was talking about them, even though they probably were in the top ten the entire year, I think. Um, but it is curious, Kelvin Sampson passed on a chance to play against them. They don't match up well with the Gonzaga at all. No, it's part of the they problem. Not. Uh, they have no answers for the inside game, and their perimeter guys for Gonzaga are just as quick. You know, you know, if you watch Houston play, they scramble on defense, and you cannot scramble and leave somebody open from Gonzaga from the outside because it will just be over. 
uh, they will find the right guy and he will take the right shot. But yeah, I think if we're looking at they're not, they're not a big team. It's it's amazing how well they do on the glass for not really having a lot of. I mean, they just it's one of the best offensive rebound teams I've I've seen in a very very long time. I mean. Well, they're not afraid to send guys to the glass. That's their biggest advantage. Like they will send four guys to the glass. No one does that anymore. I mean, so many teams are content to send one guy up there who happens to be close by and drop four guys to stop the transition baskets. Um, Houston's, you know, they'll go and send everyone to the glass. I think that Oregon State struggled with that in that game because they're not used to that at all. Like I guess you have to kind of get used to boxing out again because usually you don't have to anymore. It's just the style of play that uh, is kind of predominant right now. Um, that's really their advantage, I think, on Baylor, too. I, Baylor is soft on the off- defensive boards. There is a chance Houston can get a lot of possessions out of that and kind of extend the clock and keep you know Baylor from running their offense for a while. The only team who kind of did that all year was North Carolina, and I was shocked how they faltered in the tournament so easily. Because, uh, as you can see, you can see Houston's pulling it off by crashing the glass and mucking it up. So, Yeah, that was, probably, it- that was probably one, Matt, that – if you want to like look back at the tournament now and say who is your biggest disappointment team, I mean I bragged that game up on two shows about man finding money in your couch and put that on UNC because Wisconsin was not playing well, and I thought the same thing. I thought they were just going to dominate the glass and and UNC man laid an egg. That was that's probably one of the biggest disappointments. The well, there, there's two bigger ones. I mean, you have to you have to throw out. Uh, I mean, they were an eight seed. You you have to throw out Illinois and Texas as the two ultimate oh, yeah. disappointments. Oh yeah, absolutely. Texas wasn't surprising, but it is surprising. Like they've kind of been that school the last couple of years, where you know they get upset by schools that kind of outwork them or out out hustle them. Um, Illinois just looked like a terrible game plan and. A school that had no respect for Loyola Chicago. That's it, you could see it the whole first half. They were stunned that that game was going that way. It did nothing to address it, and it just Loyola just got more and more momentum, and it, it got to a point where it was kind of comical. I mean, you know, I mean, Crutwig is just, was dominating that game, and they they literally ran two sets the whole game. They ran a high pick and roll and a side pick and roll, and Illinois looked like it, like they lit like. Loyola had literally invented it that day. <laughs> I I think that game is actually going to hit uh, hurt Kofi Coburn's uh, stock a bunch. He, he got obliterated in the pick and roll. I, I don't know if, if he can handle a pro pick and roll, and that's 75% of the game anymore. Yeah, he, that he, long. yeah he got embarrassed. I mean, he got embarrassed that game. Yeah, they were afraid to play two bigs at the same time, which was crazy. Like, I mean, they have two good bigs, and Loyola does not have two good bigs. And it would have been interesting. You know, they would have had a six-five guy on a seven-footer. You got to figure out a way to get those guys on the floor at the same time just to create the mismatch, right? I mean, you saw other coaches do that during the tournament where they basically just took the gamble on defense and said, we're going to get our best offensive players out there and get some baskets. And uh, Illinois wasn't prepared to do that. So let's go through some bets. If we are actually, if we were to make bets right now, so I'll start with you two. Uh, let's start with the Zags UCLA game. Like I said earlier, the line's 14 and over under 145 and a half. Which way would you guys lean right now? Boy, you I, know me being teaser king. I'm going yeah, to put the two games in a teaser. Right now, I would take Baylor down to a pick them. 
and I would take UCLA up to 19. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Funny you in that 19, huh? <laughs> well, I wish I could get tw- – now, I might hold out for that 20. I'm not budding. <laughs> but I, if I had to take it straight, um, you know, advice, you know, this um, – I I might I would give out the advice to look at that first half line and just see if you can catch UCLA making this game ugly and maybe them cash in the first half and then you can just sit back and see whatever happens. Kaminsky? Yeah, I would think you know the one thing you have on your side with UCLA if you take the points is the pace can slow down. Um they were not only were they one of the slowest teams on offense, they were actually one of the slowest teams on defense. It was really hard. They've actually made teams hold the ball for 18 seconds of possession, which is like 302 out of 357. That's actually pretty slow. So, I mean, they have a way to grind the game down, but you're literally just going to be holding on uh, the whole time for that 14. You'll be sweating that till the very end. Uh, and and basically would benefit only if Gonzaga's rest of their starters, which they aren't want to do. Um I think you laid against Zaga. I'm shocked that this game is second because I have a feeling this thing will be over by halftime and there'll be a lot of people tuning out and uh, looking for other things to watch on Saturday night. Um, Houston and Baylor, I, I think I would take Houston with the points. I, I just really think that this kind of game fits their mindset. I think Calvin Sampson will have an easy time motivating them. I, they won't score enough points, but Baylor goes through those runs during their game where they don't miss anything for five minutes. And then they go cold as heck for another five minutes on top of it. And uh, if Houston can get ahead and then survive those runs that Baylor makes, they have a chance to make it interesting. Like I said, I just the way that team plays, I think they suit the underdog mentality very well. And uh, I think it'll keep them in it. I think they have enough scoring. And Baylor sometimes loses focus on things that they can uh, keep that game close at least. I think personally the way I'm going to lean on this is uh, the – the the Zags game for me is a no brainer. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna lay the points. I'm gonna lay the 14, and I'm actually probably gonna play the over 145 and a half. Maybe try to get it in now in case it goes up. For the Baylor game, there's no way I'm touching the over under because I don't want to actually see and root for an under of 134. That is just gonna be a disgusting game to watch, in my opinion. But I'll probably lay the points with the favorite too and ride on my hopes of the two best teams getting to the big dance so yeah i think ken palm has it a one-point game so you, you there's some value on the cougars if, if you believe that um but yeah I, I i see baylor winning that game and it's just literally how much fight does houston have they keep it close i wonder if that line's going to come down a little bit maybe get down to four i've heard a lot of rumors today they think it's gonna they said to jump on it now they think it could go up to six Whew. Yeah, I, must, I would think it would go that way, too. That means they're going to get a lot of steam. And I've even wow. heard up to six and a half. Now, somebody did ask tonight on Twitter to Greg about that, his thoughts on it. And he said, I could see it going to six. I would be shocked if it would get the whole way up to six and a half. Wow. Hey, Ooh. on a special note, boys, did you hear the Buffalo Sabres got a win tonight? They Congratulations. did. Congratulations, they, Flyers. Way yeah, to, way to chip that one away. <laughs> Who did they beat? Did the Flyers? They beat the Six Flyers. One. They smoked them. Absolutely smoked them. Congratulations, Flyers, for another crap of the bed. What What happened to the Flyers? Like it, it, the, goal, you know what? the goalies, Goal-tending. they can't. 
Charval yeah. High School would put four goals on them. Easy. <laughs> Goaltending right now is an absolute debacle. And I, I, I don't know. I didn't get to watch any of the games when they played the Rangers. The Rangers must have found something out of how to break whatever it is, defensive uh, procedures they're running, because they have exposed them. And even the Sabres were beating them the other night. I mean, they're really struggling. They're a really bad team right now. My futures ticket on the Flyers is not looking so hot. No, it is not, no. No. What, what about maybe that uh, that rink manager from last year from Toronto <laughs> that won the game? Is, is he available? Maybe yeah. the Flyers to get him in. Yeah, the, the Carolina guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. You guys have anything else you want to touch on tonight? You want to go to any baseball, Smitty? No, I mean, I looked over. I mean, it's tough. I mean, well, I'll tell you, baseball. It's tough to train. I, I mean, I have a couple thoughts down, but I want to see the weather conditions and things like that for tomorrow. 